0: I want to invite you to go ahead and grab your Bibles and open up to 2 Peter chapter 3. We find ourselves in chapter 3 this morning. And just a quick personal note, I mentioned it this morning, uh, it really is personally good for me to be here with you this morning, getting to teach God's Word with you this morning. It's been a a month of travel for me personally. Uh, As you go, Pastor, the Lord's let me travel some places and really see some neat opportunities the Lord has opened up for our church I was in uh, New York City with a group of church planners and incredible works going on there and then my daughter Olivia and I we got to travel to Uganda uh, spend a few days with our church's partner there and man there is a work of God going on in the country of Uganda and our church gets to be a part of it you'll see a video about that at the end of our service A team from south asia of our church just returning this morning i don't know if any of you guys are in the service but they were there last this past week and uh just grateful that god is opening doors of opportunity kingdom work for our church to be involved in through praying and giving and going and i am grateful to the lord for that and i'm equally grateful after all that travel and all the places god let me go to be back home to be with you and to continue on in second peter this morning so 2 uh, peter chapter 3 encourage you if you haven't already make sure you jump in read along with us we've got about four weeks to go we're going to bring this letter to a close you can follow the reading guide we're going to finish with second peter and then have a season in our church called neighbors and nations in november looking forward to that and then it's advent season we're not far from christmas so we'll be heading there just a few weeks uh, as we go into december but this morning 2 Peter chapter 3, now let me remind you just to set the context of 2 Peter, 2 Peter's a letter, it's written under the inspiration of the Spirit of God by the Apostle Peter, he's writing to the elect exiles, followers of Jesus who are scattered all over the Roman world. He's writing to believers who've been called out of the world by God's grace, but very much still living in the fallen world. He's writing to them, and he's writing to them with great urgency, you remember. This is the last letter Peter ever wrote. He he knows his death is near. Some of the things he says here is of a a man who knows his time on earth is short. He says that in chapter 1. He says the. I know that the putting off of my body is soon. So you're reading the last thoughts and words of a dying man, if you will, who has something to say to the believers then and to us. Peter's writing equally with deep concern. If you remember, the book of 2 Peter is really Peter reminding these believers in that day and in this day of what's coming. Be ready, wake up, be on the alert. He says over and over, chapter 2, verse 1, false prophets, false teachers are going to arise among you. Be alert, be aware, they're among you, (laughs) you know them, they're in your midst, they may be family members, it might even be you. Peter's been writing throughout this letter to heighten the awareness and sound the alarm. Be aware, false teachers are coming. They're among you. Be alert. And he writes in chapter three, he says, Beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care. Wake up. Be alert that you are not carried away with the error of lawless men and lose your own stability. Don't be shaken. Don't be let, left in a place of instability that you're shaken by some of these lies or half-truths that are coming your way. Be ready. Don't be caught off guard. Then he ends the letter and he says, "Here's the greatest defense against falsehood." He says verse 18 of chapter 3. He says, "But grow. Be growing." Growing in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and eternity. So Peter writes this letter to help us grow. And remember, he helps us grow in our sufficiency in Christ. He says in chapter 1, you as a disciple, you if you are in Christ by faith, you have been granted everything pertaining to life and godliness. You don't need some false teacher coming and telling you you need the next best thing or the next great revelation or the next high spiritual moment, you've been given everything you need for life and godliness already in Christ. Peter says, grow in that. Just grow in your sanctification in light of all of that. Pursue. Press on. Grow in likeness." He reminds us of the authority of Scripture. At the end of chapter 1, he reminds us no prophecy of Scripture. No word of God was ever given by some act of man or will of man. But men moved by the very Holy Spirit spoke from God. Grow in your depth and your understanding of the authority and the sufficiency of the word of God. Amen? Peter says grow in these things. And at the same time, be aware that as you're growing, there will be false prophets, false teachers, falsehood among you. That's kind of the drumbeat that continues throughout this book. And then we come to chapter 3 this morning. And as we come to this last chapter, Peter's going to give us a specific example. He's going to give us a specific example of a particular teaching, a particular truth, a particular doctrine that Peter says is always going to be under attack. False prophets are going to try to to twist this, going to distort it, going to minimize it, going to say it's never going to happen, whatever. He's going to give you an example in chapter 3 so we get to see. Now watch, I'm going to read through the first 10 or 11 verses. But you get to see an example of how the false teachers, their tactics, their strategies are coming after a particular very important truth for you and me as followers of Jesus this morning. So I want to read beginning in verse 1. Again, I'll read down through about verse 10 or so. Make a few comments as we go and then we'll determine a big truth and a few big ideas to help us this morning. So chapter 3, verse 1. A particular truth is under attack. What does it look like? Helps us grow and defend against false teachers. Verse 1. Peter says this. This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved. In both of them, referring back to 1 Peter, obviously, and 2 Peter, he says, in both of them, here's what I'm trying to do. He says, I'm... Stirring up your sincere mind. Chapter 2, he's been talking about the corrupt mind of the false teachers. Now he shifts in chapter 3 and says the sincere mind of the believers. He's saying, here's my goal. I'm trying to stir you up. Trying to awaken you. He says, I'm trying to do that by way of reminder. I'm not teaching you anything new, he says. I'm I'm just reminding you of the same truth that you've heard over and over and over. By the way, the goal is not always discovering some new great truth. Sometimes it's being reminded of the same things over and over. Lord, help me to obey what you've already said and shown us. He says, I'm trying to stir you up, your sincere mind, by way of reminder. Why? Verse 2. That... You should remember or call back to mind the promises, the predictions of the Holy Prophets. All that was promised to you in the Old Testament about this particular reality. He says, I want to remind you of these things. He says, I want to remind you also, middle of verse 2, of the commandment of the Lord and the Savior himself. I want to remind you what Jesus said. I want to remind you what the prophets of old said. I want to remind you what Jesus said. And then he says, through your apostles. I want to remind you of the New Testament, the the apostles of Jesus, what they said about this as well. Verse 3. Then he says, knowing this first of all. Anytime you see that phrase, first of all, in your Bible, that's pretty important. Peter says, this is really important. I, I don't want you to be caught off guard. He says, I want you to know something, verse 3. He says, knowing this first of all, scoffers are going to come in the last days. Scoffers are going to come. Those who ridicule, those who mock, those who make fun, they're going to come in the last days. You say, well, when's the last days? Are we there yet? The last days is simply a technical term from the time Jesus came to the time he returns. We are in the last days now, as the Bible refers to it. So it's now. Now watch this. He says, in these last days, I don't want you to be surprised that scoffers and mockers are going to come with their scoffing, following their own desires. Verse 4. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers have fallen asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. Stop right there for a second. Peter says, I don't want you to be unsettled. I don't want your stability to be shaken. You're going to be surrounded by people who, when you talk about what the Bible says about the return of Jesus, they're going to mock you. Because it seems foolish. Foolish it seems unreasonable, they're going to say something like this. Well, he's not here yet. Uh, He he promised he's coming day after day after day. Another day passes and he's not returned yet. Where is his promise? I want you to hear something this morning that I think will be helpful to you. It was helpful to me this week. Watch this. Do not be surprised when the world mocks and trashes what we treasure. It should not leave you in an unstable place when the world around us, maybe even family members sometimes, the things that the Bible says we treasure and the things that we as believers hold so dear, don't be surprised when the world just trashes those things. Here's talking about the return of our Lord and Peter says, listen, don't you be surprised when scoffers do what they do. Scoffers been a scoffing, right? They're going to mock they're going to ridicule. They're going to trash what you hold dear. Don't be surprised when that happens to you. In a lot of different areas. He says, don't be surprised. Here's what they're going to say. Verse 5. Then they, he says, they deliberately overlook this fact. They just choose to go right around facts. He says, that the heavens existed long ago. The earth was formed out of water and through water. How? By the word of God. In that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. By the same word, he says, verse 7, just like God in a dramatic show of his power created everything, destroyed everything in the flood, he says, if you have forgotten that? He says in the same way, verse 7, by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and as a thousand years is one day. The Lord, thank goodness, this is a great verse, is not slow about his promises. Some count slowness, but he is patient. By the way, aren't you glad for the patience of God? Some of you are in this room, and if the Lord had returned a year ago, you would be separated from Christ forever. But thank God for his patience in the last year you've come to Christ. Thank God for his patience. Not wishing, he says, of the character of God, that any should perish, but all should reach repentance. And then verse 10, here's our big truth. But, Peter says, here's what I want you to nail down like a stake in the ground. But the day of the Lord will come. The day of the Lord will come. Like a thief. And then the heavens will pass away with a roar. The heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved. And the earth and its works will that are done on it will be exposed or dissolved. Here's the big truth I want you to see. And we're going to have some big ideas that will flow out of this. It's simply this, out of verse 10. The day of the Lord will come. Peter's writing to these believers who evidently had been worn down. They had heard the scoffing over and over. They had heard the pundits and they had heard those even among them saying, well, each passing day, I, I know the promise, but where is he? Is he really coming? Is everything really going to be restored someday? Are you really holding on to some false promise? And Peter says, nail it in the ground like a stake and hold on to it. I want to stir you up by way of reminder. Here it is. The day of the Lord will come. Now, brothers and sisters, I just want to remind you of a reality from the New Testament, really all of the pages of Scripture The great hope of every follower of Jesus Christ is that certain reality that Jesus Christ one day is going to return. He's going to return visibly, he's going to return literally, it's not some kind of myth. He's going to return physically in great power in his resurrected body. The Bible, just take the New Testament for example. Over 300 times in the New Testament alone is a reference or an inference somehow to that Jesus is coming again. Everything is not going to continue as it is. There will be a day when everything is made new. There will be a day when He does establish justice. There will be a day when He does deal with sin and wickedness and come in judgment. There will be a day when He will glorify us from this fallen, broken body. There will be a day that King Jesus will reign forever and ever and ever. And He's going to make all things new. See, for you as disciples in this day... We have to be so careful to fix our hope on things that are going to fade away. Our hope is to be fixed on that which is absolutely certain. We are living in this world, but we are citizens of a kingdom that will not fail. There is a uh, not yet aspect of His return. That He's living and ruling and reigning in our hearts. But there is a not yet reality. Or there's an already reality that He reigns in our heart. There's a not yet reality coming when He will reign forever and ever. It is the great hope of every child of God. Is your hope fixed on that? See, I assure you, if your hope is not fixed on something as certain... As the return of the Lord Jesus Christ, your days ebb and flow by the next news headline that comes along. Your joy ebbs and flows by how your day goes or how you, uh, how you perform in the day or how your circumstances work around you. But Peter says in the first letter he wrote, look, be sober in spirit, gird your mind for action, fix your hope on the certainty of the return of Christ. And you will not be shaken. So these disciples are here and the pundits are coming and the scoffers are coming. And they're mocking that reality. And it's wearying to the disciples in this day. And Peter writes to them and says, I want to remind you. I want to stir up your mind of this reality that the day of the Lord is will come the day of the Lord is the same thing as the return of Jesus that's a technical term used throughout the Bible when God is going to intervene in human history again and make all things right and make all things new and Peter says the day of the Lord will come see sometimes I think we miss setting our hope on the reality of the return of Jesus because we're so preoccupied with lesser things And maybe we think, oh, well, yeah, that means we get to go to heaven and float around on a cloud, you know, and do some kind of weird stuff someday. No, if you had any idea of all that the Bible says about your future home and the future reality that he's going to restore and when he returns, you would be just like Paul in chapter 3 when he says, we earnestly long for his return. Come, Lord Jesus. Things may be good today, that's fine. Come, Lord Jesus, it's better. Things may be unraveling today, it doesn't matter. Come, Lord Jesus, I'm waiting and holding on to that reality. Really quick, let me just show you, you don't have to look this up, it'll be on the screen. I want you to hear what Jesus said about his return. Then we're going to go back to what Peter says here really quick and make some application. Much of what Peter is saying about the return of Jesus, obviously he learned by sitting at the feet of Jesus walking with him as his disciple for three and a half years. And Jesus over and over and over and over reminded those disciples, look, there's a day I'm coming. I came the first time as a suffering servant to die for your sin. But guys, don't forget, when I come again, it's to rule and reign. Peter heard that over and over and over. Now he wants to remind these disciples. So listen to what Jesus says, Matthew 25, verse 31. This is Jesus speaking. He says, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, future, and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. He will establish His kingdom. There's not going to be any elections in that day. Aren't you glad? No midterm, no political advertisements. It's one King. He will reign on His glorious throne. Verse 32 Before Him will be gathered all the nations, and He will separate the people. One from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, those who are in Christ. And the goats on his left, those who have rejected the gospel. Verse 34, then the king will say, I love this. Then the king will say to those on his right, those who are in Christ, Come, you who are blessed by my Father. Why are you on my right hand? By the blessing of God and the grace of God. That's been poured upon your life. Come, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. A kingdom with a perfect king, perfect government, perfect relationships, perfect creation is in store for those who know Christ. Verse 41, he says, then he will say to those on his left those who reject the message of the gospel of Christ and Christ alone and try to earn their own righteousness through their own efforts in some way or those that do not believe in the gospel of Christ verse 41 he says then he will say to those on his left depart from me you cursed ones into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels listen beloved For those who are in Christ, the return of Christ is our great hope. We long for that day. But those who are not in Christ and reject Christ, maybe you're here today and you are waiting. You are waiting. The return of Christ is a day of doom. It says to those on his left, you will depart into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. The return of Christ is a serious thing. It's a true reality for us. And Peter's trying to remind these disciples of these things. So it should not be surprising of the judgment that is promised when Christ returns that false teachers would try to deny that reality altogether. Oh, there's no judgment. Christ is not coming. He's not going to be there. What are you talking about? You're making too big a deal about that. So Peter writes to remind them of what Scripture says about the return of Christ. So big truth day of the Lord will come. i got two big ideas that flow out of that, and that's where we'll finish up this morning and continue next week. So here's big idea number one. False teachers deny the return of Jesus. Look at verse 3. Knowing this first of all, Peter says, Peter does not want his readers to be surprised. He says scoffers, mockers, will come in the last days with their scoffing. They're following their own sinful desires. They'll say, Where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things continued as they have from the beginning. In these two short verses, you see the strategy and tactics of false teachers. They're going after this great reality to shake us. And Peter says here, I do not want you to be surprised. There'll be those scoffers, they'll trash the things that you treasure. So for us, in these few verses, here's a question I want us to see, okay? What is the nature of the attack of the false teachers here? We've talked about that for weeks. Then Peter gives us a tangible example. How do they come at us? How do they come at us, particularly in this particular passage? Let me give you three things. What's the nature of the attack of false teachers? Number one, their attack will be characterized by ridicule, scoffing, mocking, Suggesting, suggesting that what you believe is so ridiculous, suggesting that that truth that you hold on to is so out of touch, do you really hold on to that reality that Jesus is going to return again? Scoffers will come in the last days with their scoffing. Now listen, beloved, this is an emotional tactic of false teachers. You are facing it, you will face it, they face it. It has nothing to do with science. It has nothing to do with evidence. It has nothing to do with truth. It has everything to do with this emotional ploy of ridicule, scoffing. The things that you treasure are so out of place. They don't even even make sense. What are you talking about? So One of the tactics of these false teachers here is this ridicule. Don't be surprised. It wears us down over time. Don't be surprised when family members laugh at how serious you hold the Word of God. Don't be surprised when some of your friends mock the fact that you hold high the local church and your engagement in the body of Christ. And yes, I'm going to be there. And yes, I'm going to be active. And there'll be scoffers who try to minimize the things that we treasure as God's people. So these disciples, man, they've been suffering And they're holding to the reality that Jesus is going to return and make everything right. And they're surrounded by guys that go, ha, you really think he's going to return? Peter says, I do not want you to be surprised by that. So they're characterized by ridicule. Number two, here's the other nature of their attack. It's driven by lust. It's driven by their own desires. Look at verse three. Knowing this first of all, Scoffers will come in the last days with their scoffing. Now what will drive that scoffing? Into verse 3. Look at it. Following their own sinful desires. This is huge for you and me. Mark that there in your Bible. The motivation for denying the return of Jesus, the motivation most of the time for denying any biblical reality is not not science, it's not history, it's not archaeology, it's not logic, it's not reason. False teachers love their sin and they want no accountability. These false teachers want to deny the reality of a a coming judgment. They want to deny the reality of the authority of Scripture. Because if the Bible's true, then I'm not my own. I'm not my own Lord. I'm not my own master. I can't be, do just whatever I want. There's a greater master. So if we could just deny that reality and we could just kind of suggest that maybe that's not true, then guess what? I get to be my own Lord, do my own thing, which ultimately leads to judgment and doom. Peter says, listen, the logic behind their scoffing, it's not science. It's not fact. What drives it, he says, is their own sinful desires, their own lust. John MacArthur said it this way, they want an eschatology that fits their own immorality. Much twisting of Scripture is driven not by profound study, not by special revelation, but simply by the desire to live and be and do whatever I want without any accountability to God Almighty. It's true in Genesis, true throughout the Scriptures. Remember Genesis 3? Remember when... God had said to Eve, you shall not eat of the tree of good and evil, or you will surely die. There will be judgment if you eat from this tree. And he said, okay. And then the serpent comes and tempts her. And she says, he says, no, take this fruit. It looks so good. It's so tasty. You'll enjoy it. Don't let God cheat you out of something. And she says, well, you know, God said, if I eat it, I'll surely die. And you know what the next line out of the enemy's mouth is? You will not die. No judgment, no accountability, do whatever you want. So much false teaching, just know, is driven by lust and wanting to do whatever a person wants. And by the way, it is really important for you and for me to realize I often come to the pages of this book and I read through the lenses of my own preferences and I read through my own desires and I can twist and interpret Scripture any way I want to get what I want. Amen? So can you. That's why accountability from others is so important to say, no, that's not what that verse means, Mike. No, that doesn't mean you can really do great ministry if you go buy that chalet in the mountains and spend all this money and do whatever you want. I I know you think you heard from God, but here's what the Bible really says. We need that. So the strategy of these false teachers, number one, is it's characterized by ridicule. Number two, driven by lust. Number three, very quickly, rejects reality. See, the scheme of these false teachers dealing with the return of Christ, they have to reject reality. This says, verse 4. They will say, where's the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all things are continuing as they were from the beginning of creation. They're saying, look creation started it's just kind of continued on as it began God has not intervened it's just been the next thing it's this theory called uniformity which means God doesn't intervene he's just kind of in a distance watching all things started this this process this process has continued it continues God has not intervened and, and uh, Peter says four, verse 5 they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago the earth was formed out of water and through water by the what word of god he says you you might think all things happened by these just natural processes and all these things came into place but he said do you forget that the world exists today by the word of the living god God spoke the universe into existence. God speaks and holds everything into existence. And then he says, Have you forgotten verse 6? And that by means of these, the world that then existed was deluged with water and perished. What does that mean? Have you forgotten the flood? When you say God's not going to intervene and he's not going to step into history and he, he just kind of stands off to the side and does his, Have you forgotten creation? Have you forgotten the flood? Have you forgotten that God holds all things together? See, false teaching has to jump around truth. It has to go over reality. Here, they're denying that God would step into history at the end of time. And they're saying he didn't step into history at the beginning of time. There's just these natural processes that have continued as they've always been. And by the way, that lays the groundwork for something called evolution. It's just continued on. It's always continued. God's just kind of. Watching from a distance, and Peter says, no. Verse 7, by the same word, the heavens and the earth that now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and the destruction of the ungodly. So false teaching that's coming against this reality of the second coming. It denies reality. It's driven by lust. It rejects the living word of God. And it's characterized by scoffing and ridicule. That's often the ploy of those that would come against our faith. It's often the ploy of falling into some kind of false teaching or false belief. So Peter says, the day of the Lord will come. False teachers are going to deny the day of the Lord. But then I want to end with this. He turns to the people of God and he says, but you, the people of God, you hold fast to the reality of his return. That's your second big truth this morning and we'll be finished is this. False teachers may deny the return of Christ... But God's people fix our hope on his return. Beloved, I hope this morning by the word of God you are encouraged that no matter what your day may bring, your hope is fixed on the eternal reality that Jesus is going to return. Peter says, I want to stir you up. I want to remind you. Verse 1, he says this, This is now the second letter that I'm writing to you, beloved, and both of them I'm stirring you up by your sincere mind, by way of reminder, that you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandment of our Lord and Savior through your apostles. So here's the question. Here's the strategy of false teachers. Ridicule. Denying reality. How do we hold fast to the promises of Scripture? What is the defense For the promised return of Jesus. I'll give you two things. Number one, Peter says, Your defense is the Word of God. What has God said? He said, You should remember the promises of the holy prophets. Remember all that was said in the Old Testament. Remember all the promises that the day of the Lord will come. Do you remember Isaiah that says, Well, for the day of the Lord is near and destruction from the Almighty will come. Have you forgotten Habakkuk that says, The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of God as the waters cover the sea. One day all of the earth will be made new and it will be filled with the glory of God. Have you forgotten that? He said, Have you forgotten the command of the Lord Jesus? Jesus said, The Son of Man will come in the glory with His angels. Then He will sit on His glorious throne. He said, have you forgotten what has come through his apostles, he says? Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, our citizenship is in heaven. And from there we eagerly wait for a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform the body of our lowly state into the body of his glory. We long and wait for his return. If you've forgotten what James said, you also be patient. Establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord is at hand. So Peter says this, be reminded what God says clearly about his sure return. No matter what the scoffers may say, no matter how they may mock, No matter how they may wear you down and trash what you treasure, go back to the Word, go back to the Scriptures, go back to the Old Testament promises, go back to the words of Jesus, go to the words of the apostles, and be reminded by the Word of God, the day of the Lord is coming. Things are not always going to continue as they are. He is coming to make all things new. Come, Lord Jesus, and we wait patiently for Him. He says our defense is first, the Word of God. Secondly, I want you to see this, and we'll close with this in just a second. He says not only the Word of God, he says the nature of God. So you can trust the very nature and character of who God is. When these pundits want to doubt His authority and His sovereignty and His love and His mercy and His control and all of this. He says don't doubt the character of God. He is sovereign. Look at verse 5. For they deliberately overlook this fact that the heavens existed long ago and earth was formed by water through the word of God. They doubt that in a sovereign act of God, he created the world. In his sovereign hand, he holds the world together. And one day, brothers and sisters, he's going to speak and the world is going to come unglued and let loose and all things are going to come apart. And then he is going to renew all things as they are intended to be for his glory. He is sovereign. The Bible also says He is eternal. Look at verse 8. But do not overlook this one fact. That with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years is as one day. Aren't you glad God doesn't count time like you and me? Well, another day the Lord didn't return. He must have not be true with his promise. What's going on? A thousand years, this is his one day. One day is a thousand years. God exists outside of time and eternity. God is eternal. And Peter says, don't you forget that he is sovereign and that he is absolutely eternal. And oh, by the way, he says, verse 9, don't you forget that he is greatly merciful. Verse nine, he says, "The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises. Some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish. If God delays, from our perspective, for one more day, it is driven by His great mercy for those who do not yet know Him. Hallelujah for His mercy!" So he says, "You're rooted here in the Word of God. You're rooted here in the nature of God, and be reminded, brothers and sisters." Who they were weary with all the scoffing. And they were weary feeling as they were exiles in a world that was not their home. Just like you and me. And Peter concludes in verse 10 and says, But the day of the Lord will come. He is going to return, brothers and sisters. So I want to conclude with this. I'm just going to ask the team to come on up and just begin to play. How do we respond to all this there's more here than we could even cover we're going to continue on the next few weeks in this section but how do you respond to this this morning the day of the lord will come scoffers and false teachers are going to deny his return god's people fix their hope on his return three things this morning how do you respond to this truth this morning number one could be this let me encourage you fix your hope Just take a spiritual survey of your life and say, how often have I been reminded? How often have I needed to be reminded? How often have I run to what the scriptures say? That this world is not my home. My hope is not what happens next year with the stock market or the election or whatever it may be. My hope is built that there is a Savior who will return one day and make all things new. Where is your hope this morning, brothers and sisters? Where's your hope? Secondly, are you spurring one another on? See, I love the model Peter gives us here because he's not just saying, this helps me. He says, I want to help you. In our discipleship paradigm that we talk about here, he's observed something missing in these disciples' lives. And he said, I want to add, I want to expand, I want to restore something in you have you forgotten the promises of God? Listen, i just tell you, brothers and sisters, that's what we are to do for one another. When we observe where we are and our struggles and our highs and our lows, we are to say, no, let, let me sit down and maybe you've forgotten what the Bible says about that. Or maybe no one has ever even introduced to you what the Bible says about that. Whose job is that? Ours. We build one another up. Peter says, I want to remind you. I want to spur you on with truth. Are we doing that for one another? And thirdly, some of you in this room consider his delay as a great act of mercy. In other words, some of you in this room, his delay, your mind should go immediately. One more day that the Lord hasn't returned. Well, he's just slow. No, 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 no. He's patient. And that should spur you on to think about that neighbor right now who doesn't know Christ and is given one more day. Or that family member that you've waited and you've waited and you've waited and and you said, well, I'm just waiting for the right time. God's given you one more day. He may give you a thousand more days. We don't know. His patience is his mercy. Maybe it's you. Maybe you continue to wrestle with the truths of God and you're trying to figure out how to clean yourself up. and You're trying to figure out how to make yourself acceptable to God. No, maybe today is the day of salvation for you when you realize only through the perfect Blood and cross of Jesus Christ cannot be made right with God. I quit trying on my own. I repent of my own sin. I run to Jesus and Jesus alone. God, thank you for this day you've given me to receive you by faith and faith alone. Maybe it's you. I want to just ask you to bow your heads in a season of response. We're going to sing a song of response this morning. How do you respond to these great truths found here in 2 Peter? Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit amongst us this morning. God, I pray you'd guide us to respond in obedience to your word. Lord, show us a step of obedience. Lord, show us a step of repentance. Show us a step of action, whatever that may be. We trust you to do that this morning in Christ's name. Amen.